he was much visited, while in Boston, by many persons of considerable note and character, and by some of the first rank, who showed him uncommon respect, and appeared highly pleased and entertained with his conversation. And besides his being honored with the company and respect of ministers of the town, he was visited by several ministers from various parts of the country. He took all opportunities to discourse of the peculiar nature and distinguishing characters of true, spiritual, and vital religion. And to hear his testimony against the various false appearances of it, consisting in, or arising from, impressions on the imagination, sudden and supposed immediate suggestions of truths not contained in the scripture, and that faith which consists primarily in a person believing that Christ died for him in particular, etc. What he said was, for the most part, heard with uncommon attention and regard and his discourses and reasonings appeared manifestly to have great weight and influence, with many that he conversed with, both ministers and others. Also the Honorable Commissioners in Boston, of the Incorporated Society in London for propagating the gospel in New England and parts adjacent, having newly had committed to them a legacy of the late Reverend and famous Dr. Daniel Williams of London, for the support of two missionaries to the heathen, were pleased, while he was in Boston, to consult him about a mission to those Indians called the Six Nations, particularly about the qualifications requisite in a missionary to those Indians and were so satisfied with his sentiments on this head, and had that confidence in his faithfulness, and his judgment and discretion in things of this nature, that they desired him to undertake to find and recommend a couple of persons fit to be employed in this business, and very much left the matter with him. Likewise certain pious and generously disposed gentlemen in Boston, being moved by the wonderful narrative of his labors and success among the Indians in New Jersey, and more especially by their conversation with him on the same subject, took opportunity to inquire more particularly into the state and necessities of his congregation, and the school among them, with the charitable intention of contributing something to promote the excellent design of advancing the interests of Christianity among the Indians. And understanding that there was a want of Bibles for the school, three dozen of Bibles were immediately procured, and fourteen Allen bills of the old tenor given over and above besides more large benefactions made afterwards, which I shall have occasion to mention in their proper place. Mr. Brainerd's restoration from his extremely low state in Boston, so as to go abroad again and to travel, was very unexpected to him and his friends. My daughter who was with him, writes thus concerning him, in a letter dated June 23rd. On Thursday, he was very ill with a violent fever, an extreme pain in his head and breast, and it turns delirious. So he remained till Saturday evening, when he seemed to be in the agonies of death. The family was up with him till one or two o'clock, expecting every hour would be his last. On Sabbath day he was a little revived, his head was better, but very full of pain, and exceeding sore at his breast, much put to it for breath, etc. Yesterday he was better upon all accounts. Last night he slept but little. This morning he was much worse. Dr. Pinkin says, he has no hopes of his life. Nor does he think it likely he will ever come out of the chamber. Though he says, he may be able to come to Northampton in another letter, dated June 29th, she says as follows. Mr. Brainerd has not so much pain, nor fever, since I last wrote, as before. Yet he is extremely weak and low, and very faint, expecting every day will be his last. He says, it is impossible for him to live, 
for he has hardly vigor enough to draw his breath. I went this morning into town, and when I came home, Mr. Bromfield said, he never expected I should see him alive. For he lay two hours, as they thought, dying. One could scarcely tell whether he was alive or not. He was not able to speak for some time but now as much as he was before. The doctor thinks he will drop away in such a turn. Mr. Brainerd says he never felt anything so much like dissolution, as what he felt today. And says he never had any conception of its being possible for any creature to be alive, and yet so weak as he is from day to day. Dr. Pinkin says, he should not be surprised if he should so recover as to live half a year. Nor would it surprise him if he should die in half a day. Since I began to write he is not so well, having had a faint turn again. Yet patient and resigned, having no distressing fears, but the contrary. His physician, the Honorable Joseph Pinkin, Esquire when he visited him in his extreme illness in Boston, attributed his sinking so suddenly into a state so extremely low, and nigh unto death, to the breaking of ulcers, that had been long gathering in his lungs, as Mr. Brainerd himself intimates in the aforementioned passage in his diary, and their discharging and diffusing their purulent matter. This, while nature was laboring and struggling to throw it off, which could be done no otherwise than by a gradual straining of it through the small vessels of those vital parts, occasioned a high fever and violent coughing, through the whole frame of nature into the utmost disorder, and brought it near to a dissolution. But it was supposed, if the strength of nature held till the lungs had this way gradually cleared themselves of this putrid matter, he might revive, and continue better, till new ulcers gathered and broke. But that this would surely sink him again, and there was no hope of his recovery. He expressed himself to one of my neighbors, who at that time saw him in Boston, that he was as certainly a dead man as if he was shot through the heart. But so it was ordered in divine providence, that the strength of nature held out through this great conflict, so as just to escape the grave at that turn. And then he revived, to the astonishment of all that knew his case. After he began to revive, he was visited by his youngest brother, Mr. Israel Brainerd, a student at Yale College, who having heard of his extreme illness, went from thence to Boston, in order to see him, if he might find him alive, which he but little expected. This visit was attended with a mixture of joy and sorrow to M. R. Brainerd. He greatly rejoiced to see his brother, especially because he had desired an opportunity of some religious conversation with him before he died. But this meeting was attended with sorrow, as his brother brought to him the sorrowful tidings of his sister Spencer's death at Haddam. A sister, between whom and him had long subsisted a peculiarly dear affection, and much intimacy in spiritual matters, and whose house he used to make his home when he went to Haddam, his native place. He had heard nothing of her sickness till this report of her death. But he had these comforts together with the tidings, namely a confidence of her being gone to heaven, and an expectation of his soon meeting her there. His brother continued with him till he left the town, and came with him from thence to Northampton. Concerning the last Sabbath Mr. Brainerd spent in Boston, he writes in his diary as follows. Lord's Day, July 19th. I was just able to attend public worship, being earned to the house of God in a chaise. Heard Dr. Sewell preach in the forenoon partook of the Lord's Supper at this time. In this sacrament I saw astonishing divine wisdom displayed. 
such wisdom as I saw required the tongues of angels and glorified saints to celebrate. It seemed to me I never should do anything at adoring the infinite wisdom of God, discovered in the contrivance of man's redemption, until I arrived at a world of perfection. Yet I could not help striving to call upon my soul, and all within me, to bless the name of God. In the afternoon heard Mr. Prince preach. I saw more of God in the wisdom discovered in the plan of man's redemption, than I saw of any other of his perfections, through the whole day. He left Boston the next day but before he came away, he had occasion to bear a very full, plain, and open testimony against that opinion, that the essence of saving faith lies in believing that Christ died for me in particular, and that this is the first act of faith in a true believer's closing with Christ. He did it in a long conference he had with a gentleman, who has very publicly and strenuously appeared to defend that tenet. He had this discourse with him in the presence of a number of considerable persons, who came to visit Mr. Brainerd before he left the town, and to take their leave of him in which debate he made this plain declaration, at the same time confirming what he said by many arguments, that the essence of saving faith was wholly left out of the definition which that gentleman has published, and that the faith which he had defined, had nothing of God in it, nothing above nature, nor indeed above the power of the devils and that all such as had this faith, and had no better, though they might have this to never so high a degree, would surely perish. And he declared also, that he never had greater assurance of the falseness of the principles of those that maintain such a faith, and of their dangerous and destructive tendency, or a more affecting sense of the great delusion and misery of those that depended on getting to heaven by such a faith, while they had no better, than he lately had when he was supposed to be at the point of die and expected every minute to pass into eternity. M. R. Brainerd's discourse at this time, and the forcible reasonings by which he confirmed what he asserted, appeared to be greatly to the satisfaction of those present. As several of them took occasion expressly to manifest to him, before they took leave of him. When this conversation was ended, having bid an affectionate farewell to his friends, he set out in the cool of the afternoon, on his journey to Northampton, attended by his brother and my daughter that went with him to Boston, and would have been accompanied out of the town by a number of gentlemen, besides that honorable person who gave him his company for some miles on that occasion, as a testimony of their esteem and respect, had not his aversion to anything of pomp and show prevented it. Saturday, July 25th, I arrived here at Northampton. Having set out from Boston on Monday, about 4 o'clock, p.m. in this journey I rode about 16 miles a day one day with another. Was sometimes extremely tired and faint on the road, so that it seemed impossible for me to proceed any further at other times I was considerably better, and felt some freedom both of body and mind. Lord's Day, July 26th. This day I saw clearly that I should never be happy. Yea, that God himself could not make me happy, unless I could be in a capacity to please and glorify him forever. Take away this and admit me into all the fine heavens that can be conceived of by men or angels, and I should still be miserable forever. Though he had so far revived, as to be able to travel thus far, yet he manifested no expectation of recovery he supposed, as his physician did, that his being brought so near to death at Boston, was owing to the breaking of ulcers in his lungs. He told me that he had several such ill turns before, only not to so high a degree, but as he supposed, owing to the same cause, namely the breaking of ulcers. 
and that he was brought lower and lower every time. And it appeared to him, that in his last sickness he was brought as low as it was possible, and yet live. And that he had not the least expectation of surviving the next return of this breaking of ulcers. But still appeared perfectly calm in the prospect of death. On Wednesday morning, the week after he came to Northampton, he took leave of his brother Israel, never expecting to see him again in this world. He now setting out from hence on his journey to New Haven. When Mr. Brainerd came hither, he had so much strength as to be able, from day to day, to ride out two or three miles, and to return. And sometimes to pray in the family. But from this time he gradually decayed, becoming weaker and weaker. While he was here, his conversation from first to last was much on the same subjects as when in Boston. He spoke much of the nature of true religion and heart and practice, as distinguished from its various counterfeits. Expressing his great concern, that the latter so much prevailed in many places. He often manifested his great abhorrence of all such doctrine and principles in religion, as had any tendency to antinomianism. Of all such notions, as seemed to diminish the necessity of holiness of life, or to abate men's regard to the commands of God, and a strict, diligent, and universal practice of virtue and piety, under a pretense of depreciating by works, and magnifying God's free grace. He spoke often, with much detestation, of such experiences and pretended discoveries and joys, as have nothing of the nature of sanctification in them, as do not tend to strictness, tenderness, and diligence in religion, to meekness and benevolence towards mankind, and then humble behavior. He also declared, that he looked on such pretended humility as worthy of no regard, which was not manifested by modesty, of conduct and conversation. He spake often, with abhorrence, of the spirit and practice that appears among the greater part of separatists at this day in the land, particularly those in the eastern parts of Connecticut. In their condemning and separating from the standing ministry and churches, their crying down learning in a learned ministry, their notion of an immediate call to the work of the ministry, and the forwardness of laymen to set up themselves as public teachers. He had been much conversant in the eastern part of Connecticut, it being near his native place, when the same principles, notion, and spirit began to operate, which have since prevailed to a greater height, and had acquaintance with some of those persons who are become heads and leaders of the separatists. He had also been conversant with persons of the same way elsewhere. And I heard him say, once and again, he knew by his acquaintance with this sort of people, that what was chiefly and most generally in repute among them as the power of godliness, was an entirely different thing from that true vital piety recommended in the scriptures, and had nothing in it of that nature. He manifested a great dislike of a disposition in persons to much noise and show in religion, and affecting to be abundant in proclaiming and publishing their own experiences. Though at the same time he did not condemn, but approved of Christians speaking of their own experiences on some occasions, and to some persons, with due modesty and discretion. He himself sometimes, while at my house, spake of his own experiences. But it was always with apparent reserve, and in the exercise of care and judgment with respect to occasions, persons, and circumstances. He mentioned some remarkable things of his own religious experience to two young gentlemen, candidates for the ministry, who watched with him each at a different time when he was very low, and not far from his end. But he desired both of them not to speak of what he had told them till after his death. The subject of that debate I mentioned before, 
which he had with a certain gentleman, the day he left Boston, seemed to lie with much weight on his mind after he came hither. And he began to write a letter to that gentleman, expressing his sentiments concerning the dangerous tendency of some of the tenets he had expressed in conversation, and in the writings he had published. With the considerations by which the exceeding hurtful nature of those notions is evident. But he had not strength to finish his letter. After he came hither, as long as he lived, he spoke much of that future prosperity of Zion which is so often foretold and promised in the scripture. It was a theme he delighted to dwell upon. And his mind seemed to be carried forth with earnest concern about it, and intense desires, that religion might speedily and abundantly revive and flourish. Though he had not the least expectation of recovery, yea, the nearer death advanced, and the more the symptoms of its approach increased, still the more did his mind seem to be taken up with the subject. He told me, when near his end, that he never in all his life had his mind so led forth in desires and earnest prayers for the flourishing of Christ's kingdom on earth, as since he was brought so exceeding low at Boston. He seemed much to wonder, that there appeared no more of a disposition in ministers and people to pray for the flourishing of religion through the world. That so little a part of their prayers was generally taken up about it, in their families, and elsewhere. And particularly, he several times expressed his wonder, that there appeared no more forwardness to comply with the proposal lately made, in a memorial from a number of ministers in Scotland, and sent over into America, for united extraordinary prayer, among Christ's ministers and people, for the coming of Christ's kingdom and he sent it as his dying advice to his own congregation, that they should practice agreeably to that proposal. Though he was constantly exceeding weak, yet there appeared in him a continual care well to improve time and fill it up with something that might be profitable, and in some respect for the glory of God or the good of men. Either profitable conversation, or writing letters to absent friends, or noting something in his diary, were looking over his former writings, correcting them, and preparing them to be left in the hands of others at his death, or giving some directions concerning the future management of his people, or employment in secret devotions. He seemed never to be easy, however ill, if he was not doing something for God, or in his service. After he came hither, he wrote a preface to a diary of the famous Mr. Shepherds, in those papers before mentioned, lately found having been much urged to it by those gentlemen in Boston who had the care of the publication which diary, with his preface, has since been published in his diary for Lord's Day, August 9th, he speaks of longing desires after death, through a sense of the excellency of a state of perfection. In his diary for Lord's Day, August 16th, he speaks of his having so much refreshment of soul in the house of God, that it seemed also to refresh his body. And this is not only noted in his diary, but was very observable to others it was very apparent, not only that his mind was exhilarated with inward consolation, but also that his animal spirits and bodily strength seemed to be remarkably restored, as though he had forgot his illness. But this was the last time that ever he attended public worship on the Sabbath. On Tuesday morning that week I being absent on a journey he prayed with my family. But not without much difficulty, for want of bodily strength. And this was the last family prayer that ever he made. He had been wont, till now, frequently to ride out two or three miles. But this week, on Thursday, was the last time he ever did so. Lord's Day, August 23rd. This morning I was considerably refreshed with the thought, yea, 
the hope and expectation of the enlargement of Christ's kingdom. And I could not but hope the time was at hand, when Babylon the Great would fall, and rise no more. This led me to some spiritual meditations, that were very refreshing to me. I was unable to attend public worship, either part of the day. But God was pleased to afford me fixedness and satisfaction in divine thoughts. Nothing so refreshes my soul, as when I can go to God, yea, to God my exceeding joy. When he is so, sensibly, to my soul, oh how unspeakably delightful is this. In the week past I had divers turns of inward refreshing. Though my body was inexpressibly weak, followed continually with eggs and fevers. Sometimes my soul centered in God, as my only portion. And I felt that I should be forever unhappy if he did not reign. I saw the sweetness and happiness of being his subject, at his disposal. This made all my difficulties quickly vanish. From this Lord's Day, namely August 23rd, I was troubled very much with vapory disorders, and could neither write nor read, and could scarcely live. Although, through mercy, was not so much oppressed with heavy melancholy and gloominess, as at many other times. Till this week he had been wont to lodge in a room above stairs. But he now grew so weak, that he was no longer able to go upstairs and down. Friday, August 28th, was the last time he ever went above stairs. Henceforward he betook himself to a lower room. On Wednesday, September 2nd, being the day of our public lecture, he seemed to be refreshed with seeing the neighboring ministers that came hither to the lecture, and expressed a great desire once more to go to the house of God on that day and accordingly rode to the meeting, and attended divine service, while the Reverend Mr. Woodbridge, of Hatfield, preached. He signified that he supposed it to be the last time that ever he should attend the public worship, as it proved. And indeed it was the last time that ever he went out at our gate alive. On the Saturday evening next following he was unexpectedly visited by his brother, Mr. John Brainerd, who came to see him from New Jersey. He was much refreshed by this unexpected visit, this brother being peculiarly dear to him. And he seemed to rejoice in a devout and solemn manner, to see him, and to hear the comfortable tidings he brought concerning the state of his dear congregation of Christian Indians. A circumstance of this visit, of which he was exceeding glad, was, that his brother brought him some of his private writings from New Jersey, and, particularly his diary that he had kept for many years past. Lord's Day, September 6th. I began to read some of my private writings, which my brother brought me, and was considerably refreshed with what I met with in them. Monday, September 7th. I proceeded further in reading my old private writings, and found they had the same effect upon me as before. I could not but rejoice and bless God for what passed long ago, which without writing had been entirely lost. This evening, when I was in great distress of body, my soul longed that God should be glorified I saw there was no heaven but this. I could not but speak to the bystanders then of the only happiness, namely pleasing God. Oh that I could forever live to God! The day, I trust, is at hand, the perfect day. Oh, the day of deliverance from all sin! Lord's Day, September 13th. I was much refreshed and engaged in meditation and writing, and found a heart to act for God. My spirits were refreshed, and my soul delighted to do something for God. On the evening following that Lord's Day, his feet began to appear sensibly swelled.
which thenceforward swelled more and more. A symptom of his dissolution coming on. The next day his brother John left him, being obliged to return to New Jersey on some business of great importance and necessity. Intending to return again with all possible speed, hoping to see his brother yet once more in the land of the living. Mr. Brainerd having now, with much deliberation, considered of the important affair before mentioned, which was referred to him by the Honorable Commissioners in Boston, of the Corporation in London for the propagation of the Gospel in New England and parts adjacent, namely the fixing upon and recommending of two persons proper to be employed as missionaries to the Six Nations, he about this time wrote a letter, recommending two young gentlemen of his acquaintance to those Commissioners, namely Mr. Elihu Spencer of East Haddam, and Mr. Job Strong of Northampton. The Commissioners, on the receipt of this letter, cheerfully and unanimously agreed to accept of an employ the persons he had recommended. They accordingly have since waited on the commissioners to receive their instructions. And pursuant to these, have applied themselves to a preparation for the business of their mission. One of them, Mr. Spencer, has been solemnly ordained to that work, by several of the ministers of Boston, in the presence of an ecclesiastical council convened for that purpose and is now gone forth to the nation of Ansardes, about a hundred and seventy miles beyond Albany. He also this week, namely on Wednesday, September 16th, wrote a letter to a particular gentleman in Boston one of those charitable persons before mentioned, who appeared so forward to contribute of their substance for promoting Christianity among the Indians relating to the growth of the Indian school, and the need of another schoolmaster or some person to assist the schoolmaster in instructing the Indian children. These gentlemen, on the receipt of this letter, had a meeting, and agreed with great cheerfulness to give 200 Allen bills of the old tenor for the support of another schoolmaster, and desired the Reverend Mr. Pemberton of New York, who was then at Boston, and was also, at their desire, present at their meeting, as soon as possible to procure a suitable person for that service and also agreed to allow 75L to defray some special charges that were requisite to encourage the mission to the Six Nations, besides the salary allowed by the commissioners, which was also done on some intimations given by M.R. Brainerd. Mr. Brainerd spent himself much in writing those letters, being exceeding weak but it seemed to be much to his satisfaction that he had been enabled to do it. Hoping that it was something done for God, and which might be for the advancement of Christ's kingdom and glory. In writing the last of these letters, he was obliged to use the hand of another, not being able to write himself. On the Thursday of this week September 17th was the last time that ever he went out of his lodging room. That day he was again visited by his brother Israel, who continued with him thenceforward till his death. On that evening, he was taken with something of a diarrhea which he looked upon as another sign of his approaching death whereupon he expressed himself thus. Oh, the glorious time is now coming. I have longed to serve God perfectly now God will gratify those desires. And from time to time, at the several steps and new symptoms of the sensible approach of his dissolution, he was so far from being sunk or damped, that he seemed to be animated, and made more cheerful. As being glad at the appearance of death's approach, he often used the epithet, glorious, when speaking of the day of his death, calling it that glorious day. And as he saw his dissolution gradually approaching, he talked much about it. And with perfect calmness he spoke of a future state. 
He also settled all his affairs, giving directions very particularly and minutely, concerning what he would have done in one respect and another after his decease. And the nearer death approached, the more desirous he seemed to be of it. He several times spoke of the different kinds of willingness to die, and represented it as an ignoble, mean kind, to be willing to leave the body, only to get rid of pain, or to go to heaven, only to get honor and advancement there. Saturday, September 19th. Near night, while I attempted to walk a little, my thoughts turned thus. How infinitely sweet it is, to love God, and be all for Him. Upon which it was suggested to me, you are not an angel, not lively and active. To which my whole soul immediately replied, I as sincerely desire to love and glorify God, as any angel in heaven. Upon which it was suggested again, but you are filthy, not fit for heaven. Hereupon instantly appeared the blessed robes of Christ's righteousness, which I could not but exult and triumph in. And I viewed the infinite excellency of God, and my soul even broke with longings that God should be glorified. I thought of dignity in heaven. But instantly the thought returned, I do not go to heaven to get honor, but to give all possible glory and praise. Oh, how I longed that God should be glorified on earth also. Oh, I was made for eternity, if God might be glorified. Bodily pains I cared not for. Though I was then in extremity, I never felt easier. I felt willing to glorify God in that state of bodily distress, as long as He pleased I should continue in it. The grave appeared really sweet, and I longed to lodge my weary bones in it but oh, that God might be glorified. This was the burden of all my cry. Oh, I knew I should be active as an angel in heaven. And that I should be stripped of my filthy garments. So that there was no objection. But, oh, to love and praise God more, to please Him forever. This my soul panted after, and even now pants for while I write. Oh that God might be glorified in the whole earth. Lord, let thy kingdom come. I long for a spirit of preaching to descend and rest on ministers, that they might address the consciences of men with closeness and power. I saw God had the residue of the spirit. And my soul longed it should be poured from on high. I could not but plead with God for my dear congregation, that he would preserve it, and not suffer his great name to lose its glory in that work. My soul still longing that God might be glorified. The extraordinary frame he was in that evening could not be hid. His mouth spake out of the abundance of his heart, expressing in a very affecting manner much the same things as are written in his diary. And among very many other extraordinary expressions, which he then uttered, were such as these. My heaven is to please God, and glorify him, and to give all to him, and to be wholly devoted to his glory that is the heaven I long for. That is my religion, and that is my happiness, and always was ever since I suppose I had any true religion and all those that are of that religion shall meet me in heaven. I do not go to heaven to be advanced, but to give honor to God. It is no matter where I shall be stationed in heaven, whether I have a high or low seat there. But to love, and please, and glorify God is all. Had I a thousand souls, if they was worth anything, I would give them all to God but I have nothing to give, when all is done. It is impossible for any rational creature to be happy without acting all for God. God himself could not make him happy any other way. I long to be in heaven, 
praising and glorifying God with the holy angels all my desire is to glorify God, my heart goes out to the burying place. It seems to me a desirable place but oh to glorify, God. That is it. That is above all. It is a great comfort to me to think that I have done a little for God in the world oh. It is but a very small matter. Yet I have done a little. And I lament it that I have not done more for him. There is nothing in the world worth living for, but doing good and finishing God's work, doing the work that Christ did. I see nothing else in the world that can yield any satisfaction, besides living to God, pleasing Him, and doing His whole will. My greatest joy and comfort has been to do something for promoting the interest of religion, and the souls of particular persons and now in my illness, while I am full of pain and distress from day to day. All the comfort I have is in being able to do some little char or small piece of work, for God. Either by something that I say, or by writing, or some other way. He intermingled with these and other like expressions, many pathetical counsels to those who were about him particularly to my children and servants. He applied himself to some of my younger children at this time. Calling them to him, and speaking to them one by one setting before them in a very plain manner the nature and essence of true piety, and its great importance and necessity. Earnestly warning them not to rest in anything short of a true and thorough change of heart, and a life devoted to God. He counseled them not to be slack in the great business of religion, nor in the least to delay it. Enforcing his counsels with this, that his words were the words of a dying man said he, I shall die here, and here I shall be buried. Enter you will see my grave, and do you remember what I have said to you? I am going into eternity. And it is sweet to me to think of eternity the endlessness of it makes it sweet but oh, what shall I say to the eternity of the wicked? I cannot mention it, nor think of it. The thought is too dreadful. When you see my grave, then remember what I said to you while I was alive. Then think with yourself. How the man who lies in that grave counseled and warned me to prepare for death. His body seemed to be marvelously strengthened, through the inward vigor and refreshment of his mind. So that, although before he was so weak that he could hardly utter a sentence, yet now he continued his most affecting and profitable discourse to us for more than an hour, with scarce any intermission. And said of it, when he had done, it was the last sermon that ever he should preach. This extraordinary frame of mind continued the next day. Of which he says in his diary as follows. Lord's Day, September 20th. Was still in a sweet and comfortable frame and was again melted with desires that God might be glorified, and with longings to love and live to him. Long for the influences of the divine spirit to descend on ministers, in a special manner. And oh, I long to be with God to behold his glory, and to bow in his presence. It appears by what is noted in his diary, both of this day and the evening preceding, that his mind at this time was much impressed with the sense of the importance of the work of the ministry, and the need of the grace of God, and his special spiritual assistance in this work. It also appeared in what he expressed in conversation, particularly in this discourse to his brother Israel, who was then a member of Yale College at New Haven prosecuting his studies for the work of the ministry. He now, and from time to time, in this his dying state, recommended to his brother a life of self-denial, of weakness from the world, and devotedness to God, and an earnest endeavor to obtain much of the grace of God's Spirit, and God's gracious influences on his heart. 
representing the great need which ministers stand in of them, and the unspeakable benefit of them from his own experience. Among many other expressions, he said thus, When ministers feel these special gracious influences on their hearts, it wonderfully assists them to come at the consciences of men, and as it were to handle them. Whereas, without them, whatever reason and oratory we make use of, we do but make use of stumps, instead of hands. Monday, September 21st. I began to correct a little volume of my private writings. God, I believe, remarkably helped me in it. My strength was surprisingly lengthened out, my thoughts were quick and lively, and my soul refreshed, hoping it might be a work for God. Oh, how good, how sweet it is, to labor for God. Tuesday, September 22nd. Was again employed in reading and correcting, and had the same success as the day before. I was exceeding weak. But it seemed to refresh my soul thus to spend time. Wednesday, September 23rd. I finished my corrections of the little piece before mentioned, and felt uncommonly peaceful it seemed as if I had now done all my work in this world, and stood ready for my call to a better. As long as I see anything to be done for God, life is worth having but oh, how vain and unworthy it is, to live for any lower end. This day I indicted a letter, I think, of great importance, to the Reverend Mr. Beerum in New Jersey. Oh that God would bless and succeed that letter, which was written for the benefit of his church. Oh that God would purify the sons of Levi, that his glory may be advanced. This night I endured a dreadful turn, wherein my life was expected scarce an hour or minute together. But blessed be God, I have enjoyed considerable sweetness and divine things this week, both by night and day. Thursday, September 24th. My strength began to fail exceedingly which looked further as if I had done all my work however, I had strength to fold and superscribe my letter. About two I went to bed, being weak and much disordered, and lay in a burning fever till night, without any proper rest. In the evening I got up, having lain down in some of my clothes. But was in the greatest distress that ever I endured, having an uncommon kind of hiccup, which either strangled me, or threw me into a straining to vomit and at the same time was distressed with griping pains. Oh, the distress of this evening! I had little expectation of my living the night through, nor indeed had any about me and I longed for the finishing moment. L was obliged to repair to bed by six o'clock, and through mercy enjoyed some rest, but was grievously distressed at turns with a hiccup. My soul breathed after God, when shall I come to God, even to God, my exceeding joy? Oh for his blessed likeness. Friday, September 25th. This day I was unspeakably weak, and little better than speechless all the day however, I was able to write a little, and felt comfortably in some part of the day. Oh, it refreshed my soul, to think of former things, of desires to glorify God, of the pleasures of living to him. Oh, my dear God, I am speedily coming to thee, I hope. Hasten the day, O oh Lord if it be thy blessed will. O come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Slash Saturday, September 26th. I felt the sweetness of divine things this forenoon, and had the consolation of a consciousness that I was doing something for God. Lord's Day, September 27th. This was a very comfortable day to my soul. 
I think I awoke with God. I was unable to lift up my soul to God early this morning. And while I had little bodily strength, I found freedom to lift up my heart to God for myself and others. Afterwards was pleased with the thought of speedily entering into the unseen world. Early this morning, as one of the family came into the room, he expressed himself thus I have had more pleasure this morning, than all the drunkards in the world enjoy. So much did he esteem the joy of faith above the pleasures of sin. He felt that morning an unusual appetite to food, with which his mind seemed to be exhilarated, looking on it as a sign of the very near approach of death. At this time he also says, I was born on a Sabbath day. And I have reason to think I was newborn on a Sabbath day. And I hope I shall die on this Sabbath day. I shall look upon it as a favor, if it may be the will of God that it should be so I long for the time. Oh, why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the wills of his chariots? I am very willing to part with all I am willing to part with my dear brother John, and never to see him again, to go to be forever with the Lord. Oh, when I go there, how will God's dear church on earth be upon my mind? Afterwards, the same morning, being asked, how he did? He answered, I am almost in eternity. I long to be there. My work is done I have done with all my friends all the world is nothing to me. I long to be in heaven, praising and glorifying God with the holy angels. All my desire is to glorify God. During the whole of these last two weeks of his life, he seemed to continue in this frame of heart. Loose from all the world, as having finished his work, and done with all things here below. He had now nothing to do but to die and to abide in an earnest desire and expectation of the happy moment, when his soul should take its flight to a state of perfect holiness, in which he should be found perfectly glorifying and enjoying God. He said, that the consideration of the day of death, and the day of judgment, had a long time been peculiarly sweet to him. From time to time he spake of his being willing to leave the body and the world immediately, that day, that night, that moment, if it was the will of God. He also was much engaged in expressing his longings that the church of Christ on earth might flourish, and Christ's kingdom here might be advanced, notwithstanding he was about to leave the earth, and should not with his eyes behold the desirable event, nor be instrumental in promoting it. He said to me, one morning, as I came into the room, my thoughts have been employed on the old dear theme, the prosperity of God's church on earth. As I waked out of sleep, I was led to cry for the pouring out of God's Spirit, and the advancement of Christ's kingdom, which the dear Redeemer did and suffered so much for. It is that especially makes me long for it. He expressed much hope that a glorious advancement of Christ's kingdom was near at hand. He once told me, that he had formerly longed for the outpouring of the Spirit of God, and the glorious times of the church, and hoped they were coming and should have been willing to have lived to promote religion at that time, if that had been the will of God. But, says he, I am willing it should be as it is. I would not have the choice to make for myself, for ten thousand worlds. He expressed on his deathbed a full persuasion that he should in heaven see the prosperity of the church on earth, and should rejoice with Christ therein. And the consideration of it seemed to be highly pleasing and satisfying to his mind. He also still dwelt much on the great importance of the work of gospel ministers, and expressed his longings, that they might be filled with the Spirit of God. 
he manifested much desire to see some of the neighboring ministers, with whom he had some acquaintance, and whose sincere friendship he was confident, that he might converse freely with them on that subject, before he died. And it so happened, that he had opportunity with some of them according to his desire. Another thing that lay much on his heart, from time to time, in these near approaches of death, was the spiritual prosperity of his own congregation of Christian Indians in New Jersey and when he spake of them, it was with peculiar tenderness. So that his speech would be presently interrupted and drowned with tears. He also expressed much satisfaction in the disposals of providence, with regard to the circumstances of his death. Particularly that God had before his death given him an opportunity in Boston, with so many considerable persons, ministers and others, to give in his testimony for God against false religion, and many mistakes that lead to it, and promote it. He was much pleased that he had an opportunity there to lay before pious and charitable gentlemen a state of the Indians, and their necessities, to so good effect. And that God had since enabled him to write to them further concerning these affairs and to write other letters of importance, that he hoped might be of good influence with regard to the state of religion among the Indians, and elsewhere, after his death he expressed great thankfulness to God for his mercy in these things. He also mentioned it as what he accounted a merciful circumstance of his death, that he should die here. And speaking of these things, he said, God had granted him all his desire, and signified, that now he could with a greater alacrity leave the world. Monday, September 28th. I was able to read, and make some few corrections in my private writings. But found I could not write as I had done. I found myself sensibly declined in all respects. It has been only from a little while before noon, till about one or two o'clock, that I have been able to do anything for some time past yet this refreshed my heart, that I could do anything, either public or private, that I hoped was for God. This evening he was supposed to be dying he thought so himself, and was thought so by those who were about him. He seemed glad at the appearance of the near approach of death. He was almost speechless, but his lips appeared to move and one that sat very near him, heard him utter such expressions as these, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Oh, why is his chariot so long in coming? After he revived, he blamed himself for having been too eager to be gone and in expressing what he found in the frame of his mind at that time, he said, he then found an inexpressibly sweet love to those that he looked upon as belonging to Christ, beyond almost all that ever he felt before. So that it seemed to use his own words like a little piece of heaven to have one of them near him. And being asked, whether he heard the prayer that was at his desire made with him. He said, yes, he heard every word, and had an uncommon sense of the things that were uttered in the prayer and that every word reached his heart. On the evening of Tuesday, September 29th, as he lay on his bed, he seemed to be in an extraordinary frame. His mind greatly engaged in sweet meditations concerning the prosperity of Zion. There being present here at that time two young gentlemen of his acquaintance, that were candidates for the ministry, he desired us all to unite in singing a psalm on that subject, even Zion's prosperity and on his desire we sung a part of the 102d psalm. This seemed much to refresh and revive him, and gave him new strength. So that, though before he could scarcely speak at all, now he proceeded with some freedom of speech, to give his dying counsels to those two young gentlemen before mentioned, relating to their preparation for, 
and prosecution of, the great work of the ministry they were designed for. And in particular, earnestly recommended to them frequent secret fasting and prayer and enforced his counsel with regard to this, from his own experience of the great comfort and benefit of it. Which said he I should not mention, were it not that I am a dying person. And after he had finished his counsel, he made a prayer in the audience of us all. Wherein, besides praying for this family, for his brethren, and those candidates for the ministry, and for his own congregation, he earnestly prayed for the reviving and flourishing of religion in the world. Till now, he had every day sat up part of the day. But after this he never rose from his bed. Wednesday, September 30th. I was obliged to keep my bed the whole day, through weakness. However, redeemed a little time, and, with the help of my brother, read and corrected about a dozen pages in my MS. Giving an account of my conversion. Thursday, October 1st. I endeavored again to do something by way of writing, but soon found my powers of body and mind utterly fail. Felt not so sweetly as when I was able to do something that I hoped would do some good. In the evening was discomposed and wholly delirious. But it was not long before God was pleased to give me some sleep, and fully composed my mind. Oh, blessed he God for his great goodness to me, since I was so low at Mr. Bromfield's, on Thursday, June 18th, last. He has, except those few minutes, given me the clear exercise of my reason, and enabled me to labor much for him, in things both of a public and private nature and perhaps to do more good than I should have done if I had been well. Besides the comfortable influences of his blessed spirit, with which he has been pleased to refresh my soul. May his name have all the glory forever and ever. Amen. Friday, October 2nd. My soul was this day, at turns, sweetly said on God I longed to be with him, that I might behold his glory. I felt sweetly disposed to commit all to him, even my dearest friends, my dearest flock, my absent brother, and all my concerns for time and eternity. Oh that his kingdom might come in the world! That they might all love and glorify him, for what he is in himself! And that the blessed Redeemer might see of the travail of his soul, and be satisfied! O oh come, Lord Jesus, come quickly! Amen! The next evening we very much expected his brother John from New Jersey it being about a week after the time that he proposed for his return, when he went away and though our expectations were still disappointed. Yet Mr. Brainerd seemed to continue unmoved, in the same calm and peaceful frame that he had before manifested. As having resigned all to God, and having done with his friends, and with all things here below. On the morning of the next day, being Lord's Day, October 4th, as my daughter Jerisha who chiefly attended him came into the room, he looked on her very pleasantly, and said, Dear Jerusha, are you willing to part with me? I am quite willing to part with you. I am willing to part with all my friends. I am willing to part with my dear brother John, although I love him the best of any creature living. I have committed him and all my friends to God, and can leave them with God. Though, if I thought I should not see you and be happy with you in another world, I could not bear to part with you. But we shall spend a happy eternity together. In the evening, as one came into the room with a Bible in her hand, he expressed himself thus. Oh that dear book! That lovely book! I shall soon see it opened. The mysteries that are in it, and the mysteries of God's providence, 
will be all enfolded. His distemper now very apparently preyed on his vitals in an extraordinary manner not by a sudden breaking of ulcers in his lungs, as at Boston, but by a constant discharge of purulent matter, in great quantities so that what he brought up by expectoration, seemed to be as it were mouthfuls of almost clear pus, which was attended with very inward pain and distress. On Thursday, October 6th, he lay for a considerable time as if he were dying at which time he was heard to utter, in broken whispers, such expressions as these. He will come, he will not tarry. I shall soon he in glory. I shall soon glorify God with the angels. But after some time he revived. The next day, Wednesday, October 7th, his brother John arrived from New Jersey, where he had been detained much longer than he intended, by a mortal sickness prevailing among the Christian Indians and by some other circumstances that made a stay with them necessary. M. R. Brainerd was affected and refreshed with seeing him, and appeared fully satisfied with the reasons of his delay. Seeing the interest of religion and of the souls of his people required it. The next day, Thursday, October 8, he was in great distress and agonies of body. And for the greater part of the day, was much disordered as to the exercise of his reason in the evening he was more composed and had the use of his reason well. But the pain of his body continued and increased. He told me, it was impossible for any to conceive of the distress he felt in his breast. He manifested much concern lest he should dishonor God by impatience, under his extreme agony. Which was such, that he said, the thought of enduring it one minute longer was almost insupportable. He desired that others would be much in lifting up their hearts continually to God for him that God would support him, and give him patience. He signified, that he expected to die that night, but seemed to fear a longer delay and the disposition of his mind with regard to death appeared still the same that it had been all along. And notwithstanding his bodily agonies, yet the interest of Zion lay still with great weight on his mind. As appeared by some considerable discourse he had that evening with the Reverend Mr. Billing, one of the neighboring ministers, who was then present, concerning the great importance of the work of the ministry, etc. And afterwards, when it was very late in the night, he had much very proper and profitable discourse with his brother John, concerning his congregation in New Jersey, and the interest of religion among the Indians in the latter part of the night, his bodily distress seemed to rise to a greater height than ever. And he said to those then about him, that it was another thing to die than people imagined explaining himself to mean that they were not aware what bodily pain and anguish is undergone before death. Towards day, his eyes fixed. And he continued lying immovable, till about six o'clock in the morning, and then expired, on Friday, October 9, 1747, when his soul, as we may well conclude, was received by his dear Lord and Master, as an eminently faithful servant, into that state of perfection of holiness, and fruition of God which he had so often and so ardently longed for, and was welcomed by the glorious assembly in the upper world, as one peculiarly fitted to join them in their blessed employ and enjoyment. Much respect was shown to his memory at his funeral which was on the Monday following, after a sermon preached the same day, on that solemn occasion. His funeral was attended by eight of the neighboring ministers, and seventeen other gentlemen of liberal education, and a great concourse of people. Stillwater's Revival Books is now located at PuritanDownloads.com.
It's your worldwide online Reformation home for the very best in free and discounted classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, MP3s, and videos. For much more information on the Puritans and Reformers, including the best free and discounted classic and contemporary books, MP3s, digital downloads, and videos, please visit Stillwater's Revival Books at PuritanDownloads.com. Stillwater's Revival Books also publishes the Puritan Hard Drive, the most powerful and practical Christian study tool ever produced. All thanks and glory be to the mercy, grace, and love of the Lord Jesus Christ for this remarkable and wonderful new Christian study tool. The Puritan Hard Drive contains over 12,500 of the best Reformation books, MP3s, and videos ever gathered onto one portable Christian study tool. An extraordinary collection of Puritan, Protestant, Calvinistic, Presbyterian, Covenanter, and Reformed Baptist resources. It's fully upgradable and it's small enough to fit in your pocket. The Puritan hard drive combines an embedded database containing many millions of records with the most amazing and extraordinary custom Christian search and research software ever created. The Puritan hard drive has been produced to assist you in the fascinating and exhilarating spiritual, intellectual, familial, ecclesiastical, and societal adventure that is living the Christian life. It has been specifically designed so that you might more faithfully know, serve, and love the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as to help you to do all you can to bring glory to His great name. If you want to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, then the Puritan hard drive is for you. Visit PuritanDownloads.com today for much more information on the Puritan hard drive and to take advantage of all the free and discounted Reformation and Puritan books, MP3s, and videos that we offer at Stillwater's Revival Books.